So you have to be comfortable with just failing at some level and figuring it out because the technique is remarkable. It doesn't take muscle. I mean, muscles in some sense are a hindrance at some level to having good kind of technique, getting your hips and everything stacked. But for me, actually, the point at the end of the day was the less the vanity and the ego. It was always difficult for me in yoga to be present. And this is the refrain, of course, when you're in your yoga class, right? To be present and to be in the moment. And it wasn't immediately available for me. When you are in a handstand, the only thing you can really think about, if anything, is being in that handstand. So it allows you, sort of forces you physically to be in the moment. Welcome to Guys Talking Yoga, a podcast created to help raise awareness of the practice of yoga and its many benefits through the conversations with other guys. These are short 30-minute conversations, hearing the stories for how, where, and why they got into yoga and how it's helped them. So other guys get it and realize that they too should be doing yoga. And if they start now, they're going to have a great lifetime ahead of them. Today's guest is Robert Stern, an assistant professor of history and legal studies at St. Thomas More University in Crestview Hills, Kentucky. While in his mid-30s, Robert initially found yoga for its physical benefits. It was helping him get through the cold winters as a graduate student in Chicago. But around that time, it was also helping him deal with the travel and stress of going back and forth to his home of Cincinnati to deal with his ailing father. And along the way, his appreciation for the physical practice grew into a focus and interest in inversions, specifically handstands. Not a lot of people can do handstands, and a lot of people totally avoid them. They're a very sought-after pose by many yoga practitioners and a lot of aspiring Instagram influencers. They look cool. They are not easily done. Inspired by another yoga instructor who also really enjoyed doing handstands, Robert noticed that he had some natural ability to be on his hands. And while on his hands, he found that it really sharpened his focus for the mental and physical coordination to do that pose and hold that pose really teaches you to be in the moment. So Robert Stern, welcome to the show and thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So you are assistant professor of history and legal studies at Thomas More University. I am. And it's a Catholic liberal university, is that correct? It is, as I've been told repeatedly, a private independent, liberal arts, Catholic, not necessarily in that order, university. So you wouldn't normally think Catholicism and yoga would be sort of mixed together, but you have a yoga practice, one that from my understanding started many years ago. Can you take us back to who and where you were at that time and what what brought you to yoga? That would have been just post-recession. And I think I kind of slowly moved into yoga. There was no great revelation. I think I went to a couple of classes and ultimately came to yoga as a kind of conscious, deliberate, daily, certainly weekly practice. When my father had some health issues and I had to continue to come back to Cincinnati from Chicago, so I needed something, whatever that was. And usually that something is physical, So I found hot yoga and did a lot of yoga with soccer moms in Cincinnati for a while. And since then, it has certainly evolved uh, over time. COVID has certainly changed the nature of yoga. But 
that was the origins. It was probably 2008, 2009, and kind of trying to find a space outside the now, the present. Was yoga something that you were aware of that was going to be kind of a, a respite, a place to relax, a place to kind of deal with stress or whatever was going on? Or was there somebody in your life that said, you know, you might want to check out yoga? I think there probably were people like that. But I think what I actually had to overcome was a good amount of resistance, in part because certainly the way yoga is... A lot of yoga in Cincinnati is of a particular kind of character and certain kinds of qualities to it. I had to work my way through to find something that I appreciated about yoga and kind of set aside some of the philosophy, some of the kind of people that you end up doing yoga with. So I think for me, it was at a certain point in my life, in my 30s, knowing that there were certain things that I probably shouldn't press through and that this would be helpful, certainly as a kind of corrective to the everyday ergonomics of an academic at that point, a graduate student. It sounds like you already were kind of aware of what it probably would offer. And you're just like, this is probably going to help with dealing with stress and the way my body feels. I think so. I, I'm not exactly sure how it was operating at the time. Uh, but just in a conscious way, I did know at the end of the day how you feel after a class. Yeah. Right. Not dissimilar to a workout, any kind of training session. And I always appreciated that. So at the end of the day, I came back to that kind of feeling. And at the end of a really hot yoga class, there is a certain level of camaraderie that you feel with people that have soldiered through an hour of kind of grueling asanas and uncomfortable heat. Fortunately for me, I had good teachers who were there to kind of support me, show me different kinds of things, and just give me those kinds of tools and resources to figure out what my practice was going to be. Yeah, it's an interesting point about how much of an impact good teachers can be. And I think man or woman, anytime someone goes into a yoga class, how you connect with that teacher in that space matters big time. And it might even matter so much that you don't come back to yoga at all because you didn't have a great experience with that teacher for whatever reason. In your experience, what makes a good teacher? This is something I ask myself as a teacher. What are the preconditions for being a good teacher? Uh, you have to have a certain level of energy, certainly, that you can bring to, to the material, whatever material that is, yoga or otherwise. But for a good yoga teacher, because there's so many bad yoga teachers in some sense, and you don't know a good yoga teacher until probably you've experienced some bad yoga teachers, but... At some level, a good yoga teacher is you getting to the end of the class and having that feeling of my body feels good. And at, at some, the basic criterion is you're not hurt. Your body hasn't been in a position to be hurt or to injure itself. And I have, certainly, in certain kinds of yoga classes. A good yoga teacher has to have a really rigorous understanding of anatomy. So yoga teachers that are giving you the kind of anatomical cues and are able to see bodies in space and ways that can then guide them through that space. And, well, let's just say, as I have said, it is really difficult to do. Have you ever found an experience where you didn't quite know if the teacher was really that good of a teacher, but over time you came back and sort of in some ways, even though they couldn't meet you perfectly in where you were at your practice, just going back to that same student teacher, knowing that there was enough there to make you want to come back, did you find over time that 
that teacher became actually a, a good fit for your practice because you started to figure out their approach and marry that with what your body needs and how you're going to take care of yourself in that class? It's a really good question. And it highlights a teacher that I had who was always a good teacher, but I didn't seek out her classes in part because there was a lot of breathing involved and a lot of kind of breathing techniques. And when I got into yoga, at least as I sort of launched into yoga, I was very much into challenging myself physically and doing asanas and caring much less about all of the other kinds of things that go into a yoga practice. So I kind of catered the classes that I would take around those kinds of teachers that would challenge me physically. So she forced me to stop and think about my breathing and kind of complemented the physical dimension of yoga. And she was just an excellent teacher and a good human being. But I think only retrospectively did I come to appreciate that there was other ways of kind of moving in and thinking about and approaching yoga that after I get through this sort of physical side of it that I've come back to and appreciate it much more. So the breathing is just a huge aspect of yoga that took me a while to really connect with. And how would you describe why breathing mattered in your yoga practice and how did it improve or deepen your practice over time? The first thing that I think of when you ask that question is that most of my yoga, though I started in Cincinnati, I did in Chicago, where I was a graduate student. And frankly, what the breathing did for me is made winters tolerable. That is because you're able to warm your body from the inside and have breathing techniques, it makes frozen eyeballs and everything else that accompanies stepping outside into just inhumane conditions. I don't know if tolerable is the right word, but it provided something off the mat frankly, which is what most immediately I sort of grasp onto, that this is a really powerful tool that you can use irrespective of putting yourself in a difficult asana, right? Where you have to have, on the one hand, a certain level of strength, but on the other hand, you do have to be able to relax what you need to relax so that your whole body is not stressed out, which is when you are lifting, you know, your bench press, your whole body is a lightning rod, right? Here, you're being asked to sort of have a couple of muscles be active, but everything else relax. And I think I met that kind of prompting of relaxing my breath and relaxing my body. Like, what do you mean relax my body? I don't, this is not in my vocabulary. I think one of the things that I've appreciated is the ability to use breathing as a technique. And I think it's a really empowering aspect of not just the yoga practice, but understanding and being aware of what the body can do. And I just think it's a whole nother level of being able to check in with oneself and learn how to use the mind and the body to kind of improve or balance out your situation. I think probably yoga allowed me to figure out how to recalibrate. That was kind of an abstract theoretical notion, right? Of when you need to warm your body up, but how to then sort of bring yourself down, whether you're stepping into an interview or some kind of pressure-filled situation, very basic kind of techniques. I'm not a strong runner. I've never been a terribly strong long-distance runner, but even doing yoga allows me now to run in kind of ways by lengthening my exhale and having a more consistent inhale and exhale in ways that I would not have been fully conscious of had I not done yoga. Because you've been doing yoga for you know nearly 15 years now. Do you notice the way you move and how you're more embodied in whatever you're doing because of your yoga practice? Or are you at least more aware of it? 
Absolutely. You know, in some sense, it's similar to every other kind of therapy where you are sort of taking, you know, what is subconscious and making it conscious, right? And that this is, to me, what being embodied is. So I'm much more aware, you know, it's a double-edged sword in some sense, because I'm much more aware, for example, of the asymmetries of my body at this point, or not healthy ergonomics. So this at least allows me that knowledge to figure out what I then need to do. I mean, in some sense, it allows me to sort of diagnose the problem. It doesn't mean it's necessarily actionable knowledge. You know, there's some asymmetries that you just have to learn to live with. But at the same time, I'm certainly much more conscious of what I need to do for my body, some of which has to do with yoga and some of which I know can't just be done with yoga. I got to a point when I realized that there were things that yoga absolutely helped, but then in other kinds of ways, I needed other modalities, not to necessarily make more conscious or aware, but to provide certain kind of strength or flexibility or activate certain kinds of muscles that I couldn't immediately do in a yoga practice. Yeah. And it's brilliantly said. I mean, everyone's got the lower back issues at some point in their life, or they've got tight hips or their shoulders and neck are bugging them because they're sitting at a computer all the time. And you're right. I think whether or not you have a real deep knowledge of anatomy or not, just being more aware of how you feel, you get a better sense for what you need. I need to not just stretch out my neck, but maybe I need to strengthen a few things, or I need to open my hips, or I need to have stronger glutes to help open up those hips. So it does help facilitate a way of being and knowing and understanding what your body needs that I find is incredibly important as you age and in taking care of yourself. So we mentioned you've been doing yoga for nearly 15 years. How would you describe how your yoga practice has evolved over those 15 years? That is a good question. I think it evolved from the standpoint of a kind of ex-athlete that was trying to hold on to some kind of athletic prowess. So got into certain kinds of asanas, as we have referenced a little bit in, in terms of inversions, that was the kind of mainstay of my practice. I did a lot of that initially. So let's go into that. So and tell us a little bit about what types of inversions or poses do you do and how do they help you? And I think it has changed over time. And perhaps in some sense, it's a good point of reference, certain asanas and how I orient myself to them. Certainly it has changed from 14, 15 years ago to now. I think that I was fortunate enough to have an incredible teacher who all he wanted to do was be up on his hands. And he was just one of those naturally gifted. He didn't even look like an athlete, but just had this kind of natural prowess and could just stay up on his hands. And we sort of became kind of yoga brothers. And I found myself with some natural ability to be on my hands. And, you know, when you reach early 30s, and there's something new you can do in your body, it's a kind of cool experience. So I leaned into it. And I think at some point, initially, there was a certain level of vanity or certain kind of ego driven kind of mechanism there. I remember seeing just wanting to do everything on my hands. I remember seeing this ridiculous Equinox video of this girl, fabulously affluent, kind of Brooklyn apartment doing yoga by her bay window. And she was doing things like going into handstands and then going into Kundanyasana and names of asanas that I don't even remember. And I just said to myself at the end of that, I want to do that. And that for the next two years was my mission until I could do everything that this person could do. 
Were you already aware at that time that you had a sort of a bit of a ease getting on your hands before you saw that video of the woman doing all the handstands? Or were you actually, was that the first time you saw like, wait a minute, I want to do that? It was the first time I had seen handstands aestheticized, I think, in that way. And I was just sort of like, wow, that is just cool to be able to do that. And I can't recall at this point, I I definitely had done a handstand before, but I wasn't pressing up into handstands and doing things that you just sort of see and abstractly are like, oh, right, there are people that can do that. And I just decided to become one of those people that can do that. There's a lot more to it on what you have to do above the hands and the arms. So, So if you could, because many of us probably can't embody the ease of moving into handstands, do you remember how you progressed into doing handstands and what you have to do in your body to maintain a proper handstand pose for a moment of time? It's an excellent question. And if I could give you a distilled nutshell version of what that was, I would. In some sense, you have to sort of know it for yourself. (laughs) You have to be up there. I think, first of all, the thing is, is that at least for most people, the threshold is not a physical one, but mostly a psychic one, because you're playing with fire when you get up in the air. And I can say that I had no real compunction about falling out of it. You learn to fall out of it, but people learned when I did take a class to just get the hell out of my way. Because at that point, I 205, 210 pound guy getting up on his hands, and I wouldn't want to be in my last radius. So you have to be comfortable with just failing at some level. And figuring it out because the technique is remarkable. It doesn't take muscle. I mean, muscles in some sense are a hindrance at some level to having good kind of technique, getting your hips and everything stacked. But for me, actually, the point at the end of the day was the less the vanity and the ego. It was always difficult for me in yoga to be present. And this is the refrain, of course, when you're in your yoga class, right? To be present and to be in the moment. And it wasn't immediately available for me. When you are in a handstand, the only thing you can really think about, if anything, is being in that handstand. So it allows you, sort of forces you physically to be in the moment. And for someone who does take a lot onto the mat and becomes sort of difficult to find that, at least in that setting, I think I got up in the air for ego and vanity reasons, but I sort of stayed up in the air because that's all you're doing. Right. It is kind of cool to show someone you can do handstands, but there's also a sense of feeling powerful and in control in a handstand. And then to your point, you really have to focus on everything in that moment in your body as one fine-tuned instrument, like a balancing an egg at the equinox. You're just balancing there. And that must take you away from whatever you walked into the class with moments before. It certainly does for the however long you're up in the air. I'm thinking about it now because I do fewer handstands these days as I am in my mid-40s than I did when I started yoga. I kind of lived to do handstands at that point and lived to try to find new ways to do things in the air. And when you find one kind of asana or a certain kind of thing in yoga and you hold on to it and you sort of have evolved from that kind of standpoint, that's a pretty cool, rigorous endeavor in trying to figure out the kind of position of your fingers and all of these kind of little minute adjustments that you need to make so that you can stack your shoulders and do everything that you need to, to be up in the air. There is a lot that goes into it. And at the same time, when you're doing it 
you're not thinking as it were, right? If you're thinking, then you're probably screwed. There's sort of an intuition that takes over. And that's pretty cool when your body is sort of conscious and aware of what to do, but you're not having to go sort of tell yourself to go through the technique in a kind of explicit way. Yeah. So you you made a comment there saying you don't do as many handstands as you used to do. Why not? Well, it's a good question. And I'd like to come back to it. In part, I had a series of injuries, including tearing my Achilles, which just took me off of my hands. And in some sense, there is a way that it just atrophies over time. If you are not up on your hand, it takes a lot more. (laughs) And I was... 15 or 20 pounds heavier, but I certainly don't have the same ease of getting up on my hands. Part of that is just my wrists are not nearly as strong and these other kinds of things. I think the other point, and just to your previous question, is that my yoga practice at this point has evolved. I don't need handstands. I find that physicality in other kinds of modalities at this point. I use yoga mostly as a corrective. The recalibration comes down now that I'm in Cincinnati and don't have to face the same brutal winters as in Chicago. Most of what I use yoga for is a kind of easing rather than kind of ratcheting up. Yeah. What I appreciate about that is, and I found this in my own practice, that there are some poses that you can't do that moment or you're going to take time to work towards. The other poses you're never going to do. It's not because you're old, but it could be your body's just not designed to do that. And it's sort of a mix of wisdom and humility and just accepting. And so I appreciate the fact that you recognize that handstands served a purpose for you at a certain point in your life and practice. You no longer need the handstand pose to feel strong or, or to feel that, that sense of vanity that you did maybe early on as a younger man. Now it's a matter of what does your practice need? What does your body need? And what's right for you? And so what I appreciate is that we all have to let go of whatever we were a year ago or 10 years ago and find the strength and the grace and where they're at now. And there is a lot of great strength in that awareness and in the practice. I I would agree. And I think it's an ever-changing, evolving practice. And I I think that I appreciate much more now how I approach yoga in certain kinds of ways. Whereas, you know, there's a thin line between therapy and compulsion, I suppose. And I needed handstands in a way that I think you underscored it. I can appreciate that I don't need it in the same kind of way at this point in my life. And Yeah, I think for that reason, yoga shows itself to be a pretty versatile practice and that I can provide different kinds of things at different points in your life. I think one of the other things that I was struck by in what you were just discussing is there is a certain level of humility that I've learned as well. And part of that is practicing on my own and just being more aware or conscious of my practice. Part of that is when you have the co-presence of other kinds of people and There are a few other kinds of venues, spaces where you are doing something physically active with 60 and 70-year-olds and 15 and 16-year-olds and 40 and 50-year-olds. Here in Cincinnati, it happens to be mostly white. In the south side of Chicago, where I was living, that absolutely was not the case. So I appreciated that you could see a 70-year-old person that was moving in space and you're like, Jesus, I would just die. Like, that's amazing, right? They're not doing handstands and they don't care if they're doing handstands, but they're moving 
with a level of facility and ease at that age that that's what you hope for. Or the person that's just trying to learn yoga and is in the same class with you. Yeah. Well said. I think it's a point that people don't realize when they go to a studio class. A lot of people are thinking about sort of themselves in that class. Like, where's my mat going to be? Like, where am I going to be in the space? How am I going to do? But as you kind of noted earlier in this conversation, there's sort of a shared communal sense of an experience by the time in that class. And we all look around during yoga class to make sure we're working on the proper side of the body. We've got our right or left wrong. Even the teacher gets that backwards sometimes. But we look around and realize that somebody else is struggling with something or somebody else is doing a fantastic crow pose that you're like, man, that's a great looking crow pose. She's pushing 80 and she can do crow pose or something. So there's a shared sense of you all are in a certain place in time. You're on your own path working on what you need to. And it does have a far different experience than just doing yoga at home on your own, which has benefits in and of itself, but it's very different being in a studio and it feels great to be in a studio with people who are not necessarily look like you or the same age as you. They're younger, they're older, different backgrounds, different cultures, and you just feel connected as a human amongst others sharing an experience and moving with their bodies and enjoying that. Particularly after a hot yoga class. Yes. (laughs) Particularly. So one final question here. If yoga wasn't in your life, you didn't have yoga, you didn't do yoga, or yoga didn't exist, what would be missing in your life by not having yoga as something to do? Well, since this is being recorded, and should my partner, my wife ever listen to this, the first thing that I have to say is my wife, because I, in fact, found my wife in part by doing handstands in the back of a class. Oh, really? That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I was the rooster in the back of the class doing handstands. So that's an interesting kind of counterfactual. In some sense, life is made up of substitutes. So I don't know what would be a substitute for yoga in some sense. I think I would be fair to say that I would not be as conscious or embodied or whatever kind of language that you want to use. I'd like to think that I would have found some breathing and certain kinds of things on my own just through trial and error. But I think whether it's the friendships and the people that you meet or finding a space in that moment that you absolutely need, I I absolutely needed handstands at that point dealing with sort of family issues. You're not the first guy I've talked to who's met his significant other in a yoga class. So there certainly is many different good reasons for having a yoga practice. Well, Robert, great to connect. Thanks for your time. And I really appreciate you sharing your story. And I wish you the very best. I appreciate you having me, Derek. Thank you. As you can appreciate, learning how to do certain postures in yoga can do more for you than just being the peacock in the studio class. I mean, having a goal and figuring out how to prepare your body not just over a week or two, but sometimes months, if not years, can really foster a sense of ability and self-efficacy. That feeling of accomplishment can be a base for other goals in life too. It's not just about the physicality of yoga. At a minimum though, you'll be strengthening your body and mind for other endeavors too. Whatever it is, it's a great base. And as Robert says, you have to be comfortable with just failing at some level and figuring it out. That's a lot of falls for people who are practicing handstands. And in some cases, you just need to accept that yoga posture or that goal isn't your true aim. And it's really the technique and self-awareness you develop during the process that really makes it all worthwhile. So good luck with your handstands. Thanks for listening and make sure you subscribe and check us out on Instagram at GTY Podcast.